Okay, and remember, if you miss any studies, go on the website and you can catch all those audio as well as the, 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 the lesson itself on the church's website. Uh, Nathan tries to make an effort to keep it up to date uh, so that everything is current. Okay, uh, we are beginning a seven-week study based on the model prayer today. So turn to page 67 in your books, please, in your personal study guides, page 67. And I'm reading. If you ask Jesus one question, what should it be? If you could ask Jesus one question, what would it be? Twelve disciples walked closely with Jesus. They saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. They observed how he interacted with people. Yet one thing we know the disciples asked Jesus specifically to teach them about was prayer. It appears that in all they observed in Jesus, it was his prayer life that seemed to be the secret. Thankfully, thankfully for all of us, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He gave them, and ultimately us, a model as a part of his Sermon on the Mount, according to Matthew 5, Matthew verses 5, 7. This prayer was has inspired Christians for over 2,000 years. It is both striking in its simplicity and breathtaking in its scope. It is certainly worth our study. And as we look at the different parts of this prayer, we will draw from other passages that will help illustrate truths from Jesus' model prayer also. Prayer changes us as we pray. Isn't it time we join the original disciples and ask Jesus to teach us how to pray? After all, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Okay, let's look then at what we're going to be studying over the next seven weeks. Uh, the first session, we look at the object of prayer, that's today. And the point of that would be a right view of God feels fuels how we pray. And then we look at a prayer of praise, a prayer of surrender, praying for ourselves, session five, praying for others, session six, praying a prayer of confession, and finally session seven, a prayer of thanksgiving. Okay, those are the seven sessions and seven weeks of study that we're going to be looking at as we move forward if the Lord be not come. Okay, let's look then at our study for today. Um, let me give you the setting of our study today. Jesus gathered with his disciples on a mountain so he could teach them about living as citizens of God's kingdom. A multitude listened as Jesus taught his disciples. As he turned their attention to the disciples' To, to the discipline of prayer, he warned them about what they should avoid when they prayed. Then he gave the disciples a model for prayer. Using the model, he presented the appropriate picture of the Lord with whom they talked when they prayed. Okay, that's a setting for our study today. So let's look at the first question that we have on page 69. What's something you'd like to have a bird's eye view of? 
What is something you'd like to have a bird's eye view of? You heard about it, you hear people talk about it, and you said, boy, I wish I could have a bird's eye view of that. What would that be? Heaven before I get there. <laughs> Heaven before you get there. All right? You want a glimpse. You want a preview. Okay, you want a peek. Okay? Heaven before you get anyone else? I agree. Heaven? You agree? I agree. Okay, anybody else have some one of the birds out of you other than heaven? Of the earth. Huh? Of the earth? Okay. Okay, sometimes the astronauts give us that when they go in the space shuttle. Okay, so we can we can get that sometimes. What else? A bird's eye view. Nothing else you can think of? I'd like to see the Grand Canyon. I've never been there. The Grand Canyon? Okay. All right. Okay, then let's look at our first uh, passage of Scripture. Oh, let's look at uh, Bible Meets Life first. Bible Meets Life on page 70. My parents lived in Alaska for 55 years before retiring and moving away. But my dad dreamed every day of going back. So when I visited Anchorage on a mission trip, I called my father to describe how the air felt and how the snow-covered mountains looked that spring morning. I also had seen some of his friends and hearing about our conversation made his day. I promised to tell him more about the grand land he loved when I returned from the mission trip. But two days after I arrived home, my dad suddenly died. I had hundreds of conversations with my parents telling them about my latest accomplishments and challenges, but I'm thankful my last conversation with my dad was about him. I was reminded that joy comes from focusing attention on those we love. Prayer, talking to our Heavenly Father, is the same. When we focus only on ourselves, we can miss the joy of seeing the Lord as He is. Our Father who deserves love and praise from His children. Jesus taught us to begin our prayers as a family reunion with a loving Heavenly Father. Okay, and what's the point of our study today? A right view of God fuels how we pray. Okay, a right view of God, or a correct view of God fuels how we pray. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for the opportunity once again to be reminded of how we ought to commune with you. Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, first passage. Uh, we have a couple of them. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9a, and Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. So let's read those verses. I will just read the verses, uh, and then we're going to look at some comments on those verses. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, my soul bless the Lord, and all that is within me bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all our iniquity, he heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. Okay. 
A uh, couple of uh, words we need to look at there. We see that word bless and benefits. We see bless in, in, in uh, verse 1. Uh, the Hebrew word means to adore, to praise, or to actually bend the knee in worship. And then that word benefits, we know what benefit is, right? Literally, deeds or dealings or acts, whether good or ill will. It has come to mean, mean the good things God has done for us. So when we think of benefits with regards to God, we think of the good things that God has blessed us with. Uh, verse, nine, verse 9a of Matthew chapter 6. Uh, the verse says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven. Our Father wants only good for us. Amen? That's all he wants for us. He doesn't want anything other than good for us. And that's what Jesus wants us to grasp first as he teaches us how to pray. Notice, uh, Jesus taught that we should refer to God as our Father in heaven. When we talk with our Father in heaven, in prayer, we're spending time with the creator of the universe and also the commander of the heavenly host. Think about that. Because of his majesty, approaching him in prayer can be a daunting experience, and that's why some people don't like to do it. But he's also the perfect father who wants to enjoy an intimate relationship with every single one of his children, none excluded. By instructing his followers to refer to God as our Father, Jesus prompted them to approach God with healthy respect, nourished by love. While God, is a com while God has complete authority over us, he longs for us to experience the joy and peace that only a relationship with him can render. And so we think God, because God has everything, knows everything, he's not lacking anything? Yes, he does. He wants to have fellowship with his children. And then when we get to Psalm 103, we notice the words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. This psalm adds enriching colors to the portrait of our Father that Jesus just provided in the previous verse. We learn more about our Father and His goodness to us in this particular psalm. At the outset, the, psalmist, the psalm brings to mind our need to take a long look in the mirror. By looking at our souls and looking deep within ourselves, we have a chance to see what's really going on inside us. From there, we have the opportunity to make lasting changes in our lives that will please the Lord in a unique way. That's the idea implied from the call in this verse, to bless, to bless the Lord. By fixing our minds and our hearts on the holy name of the Lord through praising Him, we are taking the right path toward renewed spiritual vitality. And then notice verse 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. You know, there's a song that says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. 
and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. The psalmist is saying the same thing here. Forget not all his benefits, for he forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Okay, so verses 2 and 3, praise flows easily from our hearts when we consider the monumental ways in which the Lord has been good to us. If you can reflect on how good God has been to you, then praising God is a piece of cake, you might want to say. It flows easily. It's not difficult. However, when we forget about the blessings, forget about blessing him and focus on being, being blessed ourselves, we, lo we lose sight of what he has for us. By the same token, token, recalling his remarkable care sets the stage for praising him. The psalmist pointed to the valuable actions, the invaluable actions God has taken for us, referring to them as benefits. Reflecting on them prompts our praise to him. One of the greatest benefits we enjoy results from what God has done about our greatest problem. Our sin serves as a wall that separates us from our Father. We're responsible for the wall and the separation. However, we can't do anything about removing our sin, but God doesn't allow the wall to remain. Instead of allowing us to languish in our sinful condition, He forgives us by taking our sin away. Furthermore, diseases of the soul will not have the last word over us either. Notice what he says in verses 4 and 5. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfy you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. But that's not all he has done for us. Notice he's paid the price, the verse tells us, the price necessary to set us free from death. The pit symbolizes the abode of the dead and the adversity that goes along with death. From our side of the cross, we know that Jesus paid the price at Calvary. The Lord not only redeems us, he also treats us like royalty, as Brother Cliff was saying this morning, by crowning us with honor, with the honor of being his children. He is faithful to us, and he feels our pain and joy with us. He feels our pain and joy. So whenever we're going through pain and suffering and difficulty, don't think that God is distant. He feels it too. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs beneath that verse that we just read now. The most famous prayer in history is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But it's worth nothing that nowhere in noting. But it's worth noting that nowhere in the New Testament does the Lord ever actually pray this prayer. And neither does anyone else. In fact, Jesus didn't say pray this. He said pray like this. It's far better to call this the moral prayer and see it as an example of how to pray rather than as a script of when to pray. That's one of the principles of prayer 
we're going to grasp through this study. The moral prayer begins with an appeal to our Father. No one ever thought people to say, to pray to God as our Father until Jesus gave us his moral prayer. Of course, we view God as a Father, but we do so through the lens of 2,000 years of Christian teaching. In that sense, we may be in some danger of taking this great truth for granted. By contrast, praying to God as our Father was a refreshing and perhaps surprising idea when Jesus mentioned it the first time. Approaching God as a Father in prayer is a spiritual invitation, but it has an emotional appeal as well. We almost intuitively understand what Jesus said <laughs> when he said, God is our Father. We know what a good father is. Unfortunately, not everyone has a good early father, mm -hmm. but almost everyone instinctively, instinctively knows what a good father <laughs> should be. God is the ideal perfect father. Strong, kind, loving, supportive, and helpful. And he wants to hear from us when we pray. That's powerful. Okay, next page. The words of Jesus regarding the fatherhood of God are strikingly, strikingly. unique. Yet they trace their roots back to the Old Testament. We find similarities going throughout both New about Testaments. For instance, in Psalm 103, David stirred himself to pray by reflecting on God's beautiful attributes, similar to the ones found in Christ's teaching. Scripture constant, consistently guides us to view God as good, and as a result, he knows he wants, he knows, he wants what is best and good for children. When God's people pray, therefore, we don't cover, we don't cover and fear from a distant, angry judge. Instead, we come to a good father who has the wisdom to know what's best for us in every circumstances, and the power to get it done. You can trust in God like that. I hope to give you greater confidence in prayer, to know God hears and responds to your prayers as your good Father. The fact He is in heaven reminds you He is all-powerful, and can do what is best. Isn't this a great place to begin our prayer? Amen. 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 Okay, let's look at uh, that first part of that, uh, the first part of that uh, first paragraph there. It says, the most famous prayer in history is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. But it's worth noting 
that nowhere in the New Testament does the Lord ever actually pray this prayer. We never thought about that, did we? And neither does anyone else. In fact, Jesus didn't say, pray this. What did he say? Pray like this. Pray like this. It's far better to call this the model prayer and to see it as an example of how to pray rather than as a script of what to pray. That's one of the principles of prayer we're going to grasp through this study. Okay, question number two. How did you learn to pray? How did you learn to pray? Anybody? I learned to pray when, as a very young person, it became very clear to me that I am a helpless being because many matters that confronted me in my youth, I found that it was impossible to arrive at the correct answer mm -hmm. if I did not pray to one who I thought was much greater and much higher than I am. Okay. And I think that has been the success of my life academically. Mm -hmm. I gathered that God is true. Grant me the prayers to be nothing less than nothing. It's perfectly true. Then mm. he declared that we could do nothing without him, but the future. And I grasped, when one asks for wisdom, if you ask me what is wisdom, it is very simple and straightforward. Wisdom is having the ability to grasp wisdom that only God can give, to determine if you are faced with a situation in life, to analyze that situation very carefully and who most of the time through yourself make the right decision between right and wrong. Okay. That's wisdom. Okay. Good. Anybody else? How did you learn to pray? When the Rangians back in Long Island to the Church of God, they don't carry prayer books. They carry tamarines. Mm-hmm. Therefore, when the tambourine knocks, you start to pray. All right. They say they hope you can get to heaven. The tambourine. And the more you pray, the more the tambourines knock. Okay. Sounds like a joke. It ain't no joke. Okay. Come from. When I go in there, they pray from the heart, not from books. That's what the Lord looks at. Mm -hmm. So when we get started, I'll have many hours out of century. Okay. All right, let's look at another past paragraph that we saw in that passage we read. It says, Scripture consistently guides us to view God as good and as a result to know He wants what is best and good for His children. When God's people pray, therefore, we don't cower in fear from a distant, angry judge. Instead, we come to a good father who has the wisdom to know what's best for us in every circumstance and the power to get it done. We can, you can trust a God like that. Amen? Question number three. How would you describe prayer to someone who is unfamiliar with the practice? How would you describe prayer with a person who don't know nothing about prayer? Powerful. Hmm? 
powerful. Powerful, you would describe it as powerful, okay. And real and true. Real and true, okay. Anyone else? How would you describe prayer to someone who is unfamiliar, they don't know nothing about prayer? And they see you praying, and they ask you. Hmm? How it works. You will describe how it works? Okay. And God answers. That it works and that God answers. Yes. All right. Anyone else? Talking to a friend. Talking to a friend, right. Uh, you would tell them, that, you know, just as you talk with a friend, you are talking with the Heavenly Father. You're having a conversation with God. Okay, the next verses demonstrate not only does the one we pray to desire only good for us, he also, he is also our compassionate father. So let's look at uh, the next verse, uh, Psalm 103, verses 11 to 13, on page 92. Someone read just the verse. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Okay, let's look at some comments to look, describe how great this faithful love of God is. Verse 11. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. We can be certain of our Father's compassion for us. No doubt about it. David underscored that certainty by elaborating on the reach of our Father's faithful love in this verse. When God's people in the Old Testament days would look across the landscape, they could see where the sky met the earth. But when they looked up into the sky, they could see no boundaries. Instead, they beheld a remarkably vast display of God's limitless reach. The psalmist used the image of the limitless stretch of God's reign to describe the reach of his love for his people. In the Old Testament language, the term for God's faithful love incorporated two important certainties. First, his love or mercy prompted his faithfulness. He would never be fickle in his relationship with the people who followed him. Secondly, his love nourished his kindness. He never showed that he lacked kindness when he dealt with his people. On the contrary, he consistently reached down to help them, pick them up, and carry them. Because of our Father's faithful love, we fear him, or we reverence him, or we respect him. In other words, we recognize his authority over us, and we submit ourselves to him, to the authority that he has. But at the same time, we also rejoice over his abiding love for us. Notice verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, when we think about east meeting west, we arrive at only one possible conclusion. It's something that will never ever happen. 
If we travel west in search of an ending point in the east, the journey will never end. You'll keep going. The same outcome awaits us if we try to make the journey toward the east in search of the west. In this verse, the endless dimension suggested the unlimited distance between east and west has to do with our sin. Because we have sinned against God, we have to be accountable for what we have done. But instead of punishing us for making us suffer or making us suffer, he showed us his love for us by taking a completely different approach. He removed our sin and sent it away with no intention of bringing it back into our relationship with him ever again. Only God could do that. Notice that the psalmist referred to our sins as transgressions. The term brings to mind a boundary that have been stepped across illegally. God could have punished us for eternity. Instead, he took our transgressions and sent them, sent them on a journey from which they will never ever return. What he did for us at Calvary moves us to adore him even more. It also urges us to come closer to him and learn more about living in light of his love. But notice verse 13. As, far, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So the psalmist now brought into view the clear image of a father and his children. The image helps us to embrace another dimension of God's compassion for us. Jesus taught us to approach God as our father when we talk with him in prayer. The psalm help us, helps us to grasp Jesus' instruction by comparing God to a father who loves his children compassionately. When we think about God being compassionate, the wonder of his affection for us comes to mind. His heart remains tender toward us and his attention toward us flows from his abiding compassion for us. Let's look at the paragraphs that we have beneath the verses that we read. Someone go ahead and read it. When we walk with God, we should avoid two wrong extremes. One sees God also speaking his land for holiness, but it is almost impossible to relate to him on a personal basis. This view sees his holiness as utterly devoid of love. The other extreme, flawed, as flawed as the first, views God's love as so indolent that uh, he simply ignores our sin. Balance is crucial because God is both holy and loving. God calls us to live holy lives, but he, but he is also loving and merciful to sinners. In prayer, we encounter both aspects of God's nature. Okay, go over to page 74. Continue. David Penn is sound out of his own experience. He knew firsthand how merciful God could be towards us when we fall. So it's little wonder King David praised God for his mercy and faithful love. This passage also reminds us how accessible God is when we call upon him. We have already noted his love and compassion. 
but he is also tender in his approach to sinners. God is willing to forgive our sins, casting them as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how this knowledge of God impacts our prayer lives? Prayer is grounded in a relationship and how we view the character of God impact how we approach that relationship. Psalm 103 illustrates his character. His character traits like love, compassion, and forgiveness with extravagant examples of access to God. <clears throat> In verse 13, the psalmist brought us from the heavens back to earth and centered his vision of God much closer to him. He described God as a compassionate father. He is not far off. He is near to us like a father to his children. Therefore, when we pray, we have immediate access. The Lord wants us to come to Him. He enjoys our fellowship. I love it when my grown children come home. It means the world to me to spend time with them. Still, when the best human parents are only imperfect examples of how much God loves us, He is delighted when we pray, because prayer makes it possible for us to linger in His love and His presence, and for Him to linger in our hearts. Okay. So it says, uh, notice the paragraph says, when we walk with God, we should avoid two wrong extremes. One sees God as so strict in his demands for holiness that it's almost impossible to relate to him on a personal basis. That's the wrong extreme. Avoid that. This view also sees his holiness as utterly devoid of love. The other extreme as flawed as the first views God's love as so indulgent that he simply ignores our sins. Get rid of that view as well. Balance is crucial because God is both holy and loving. God calls us to live holy lives, but he also, but he is also loving and merciful to sinners. In prayer, we encounter both aspects of God's nature. Question number four. How has God expressed his compassion in your life? How has God demonstrated or showed his compassion in your life? Anybody? There's so many ways it's hard to just point out one. You can't single out any particular one. Yeah, by knowing that he has forgiven us mm -hmm. from our sins, from mm -hmm. our sins. Yes. Every day we wake up is a demonstration of God's compassion. Because we could hear of individuals who went to bed and didn't wake up. You can watch the news and see what happened to an individual. They lost their life. They lost a loved one. So we see God's compassion demonstrated all the time. Uh, the next verse demonstrates that the one we pray to is Almighty God. Last verse. We're going to look at it. Read uh, uh, Psalm 103, verses 19 to 20. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength, 
who do this, who do the His work, who begin to His command. Bless the Lord all His armies, His servants, who do His will. Bless the Lord all His works in all the places where He rules my soul. Okay. Okay, go, continue reading. We pray to God, our Father, which speaks to His loving closeness, but let's not forget that our Father is still the Lord, who hears our prayer from His throne in heaven. That's an incredible, appropriate place to begin in prayer. He can go right to the top. David himself was a powerful king who enjoyed the privilege of royalty in Israel. The king was the final human authority when it, come, when it came to matters of national concern. Yet in his prayer and in his sons, David recognized a king superior to himself, not seated on a throne in Jerusalem, but seated on the throne of heaven. That same God hears our prayer. Our prayers too. Chairs of sparsely. Sparsely. Mentioned in the Bible, we see more references to thrones. Thrones were the symbols of power in the near, in the days. In some cultures, the throne was the king's claim to a heavenly power. David knew from experience what it meant for a king to be seated while his subject stood or bowed in his presence. Israel's king had military, financial, and judicial authority and just about every other kind of power over the lives in his nation. Clearly the one seated on the throne held the power. So where came David where where so when King David described God as the Lord who has established his throne in heaven, he was portraying a powerful image. God's powerful authority is clear from the fact that he has a throne. This royal portrayal portraying a power of image, God's powerful authority is clear from the fact that he has a throne. This royal, I said that way, portrayal of God builds faith for our daily prayer life. Our lives are often filled with difficulties beyond our ability to repair. But when we pray to our Father in heaven, the impossible becomes possible because God has the authority to, to do something on our behalf. He is, he is, after all, the King of heavens. Okay. Of heaven. <laughs> All right. Good. So David himself was a as a powerful king. It was a powerful king who enjoyed the privileges of royalty, and we saw a description there of what that power entailed. Question number five. Last question. How can we improve our prayer life as a group? <coughs> How can we improve our prayer life as a group? Or as a class, one another, pray for one each other. Okay, pray for one another, each other. Sister Brenda, yes, pray, pray in the Okay, pray 
in practice follow the model that Jesus provides, right? Yeah. Okay, what's the point again? Right here in God. Okay, and what we have seen today is a right view of God in our study. Look, taking that right view of God will enable us to fuel, will fuel, provide the fuel for us in how we pray. Okay, let's look at our marching orders now. Go to page uh, 76. How are we going to live this lesson out when we leave these four walls? Since powerful and consistent prayer life has begun somewhere, has to begin somewhere, shouldn't we begin where Jesus began? Use one or more of these applications to deepen your prayer life this week. Number one, focus on the Father. Consider the traits of God as our perfect Father. As you begin each day with prayer, focus on those traits and thank God for being your Heavenly Father. Number two, humble yourself. Reflect on the holiness and greatness of God. Humble yourself before Him and acknowledge that He is the Lord who is powerful and capable of handling what you bring to Him. Sometimes we think that God can't handle stuff, so we don't take it to Him. Okay, so humble yourself. Pray together. Tell another Christian what you've learned or are practicing in your prayer life as a result of this study. Challenge that person to do the same. Commit yourselves to prayer. Okay, so we got three options there. Focus on the Father, humble yourself, pray together. Okay, and you can choose one or more of those applications to deepen your prayer life during the coming week. Each day, indeed, brings multiple opportunities for a family reunion. Through prayer, our Heavenly Father speaks to us. And as we grow close to Him and listen, we will long to respond in prayer. Amen? Amen.